We have seen several business positively impacted by the crisis. Obviously, uh, food retail going through transformation with a massive uh, shift from uh, traditional purchase in the store to e-commerce fulfillment for the orders directly in the stores. We, we have seen a huge increase of uh, volume uh, for food retailers and acceleration of initiative. Retailers who are doing only more uh, percentage of their e-commerce fulfillment in the store are going through larger initiatives here to make sure that Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Sebastian Lefebure. Now, Sebastian is the Managing Director for France and Southern Europe for Manhattan Associates. Sebastian, thanks for joining me on the show. Great to have you here. Thank you very much, Des. Uh, this is great to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. Absolute pleasure to have you here. I've been looking for this conversation for a while now. Uh, Sebastian, to introduce you to my audience, just uh, if you don't mind for a second, uh, I understand that you head up Manhattan's French and Southern Europe business with a team of about 150 supply chain, logistics and technology experts. Uh, a little bit of background on you personally. You've done a master's in supply chain at, uh, I think it's Kedge Business School. You've actually been with Manhattan for, I think it's about 18 years, which is astounding. I always love hearing about people who have been with organizations for a long time because it says so much about the brand and the company and the culture and so forth. And uh, our conversation today is going to be around the topic of the shifting world of retail in a post-pandemic world. There's no secret that the world's going through a massive challenge, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, unfortunately, in the form of the uh, COVID-19 derivative of the coronavirus family. We're going to have a chat about the whole challenge of the evolution and some of the innovations in supply chains. And I guess the key challenge of, of meeting the shifting consumer, uh, uh, I guess, you know, expectation or the demands across retail in general but before we dive into that, I wonder if we could maybe just get to know you a little bit better, Sebastian, a little insight into you personally, uh, anything around your early years, your, your academic path, and any highlights around some of, some of the things that uh, set you down this path to focus on supply chain and business and technology. So maybe to start where I'm originally from. Uh, so, well, n nothing fancy here. Uh, I grew up in the Paris suburb, uh, spent my entire education in the same school up to high school diploma. Um, and this is this is what I did pretty much up until uh, I was 18 years old. Um, well, in terms of who inspired me in life, uh, well, frankly, I would say uh, for me, obviously, this is my father. Um, he, he teach me humility, tenacity. Uh, he's had, he had his own experience, he set up his own business, building materials, had some challenges, went bankrupt. Uh, never gave up, um, and it took him some time to recover, reimburse any single debt he was having, and when he retired, the business was doing extremely well. So clearly, uh, for me, this has always been an example for me to never settle. In, in terms of um, academic and career, uh, so you already mentioned that um, I've been studying in a master in supply chain at Cage, Eastley. Uh, before that, I did a, a business school specialized in international trading, spent several months in a university in Louisiana in the United States. And at this time, I was a big fan of IT and supply chain. So for me, um, it was uh, uh, quite uh, obvious uh, to work in uh, this in IS firm, information system firm. Um, and when I was there uh, doing some consultancy on supply chain around uh, information technology, 
I met with a guy um, that is uh, still my boss. So it was 20 years ago. He's still at Manhattan also. Uh, and I spent uh, 18 years at Manhattan. Uh, started as a functional consultant. In fact, the first consultant, functional consultant on the French uh, entity, then move into project manager, services director, move to Japan also, um, spent six years as sales director, and then move to managing director of uh, France, Italy, Spain, and Portugal, which is Southern Europe at Manhattan. That's fascinating. I'm curious about uh, what got you so excited about, uh, I mean, the technology space I can relate to. Uh, as a 14-year-old kid, I was obsessed with technology and I used to pull everything apart that had a light on it and then try and put it back together. And then I discovered computers and, and the rest is history. Was there any one thing that sort of made you want to focus on supply chain in particular or was it sort of just an evolution of focus? Well, I've always been uh, very pragmatic and, and rather than working in banking or uh, insurance, uh, wanted to uh, feel the flow, uh, see things moving. Uh, and so for me, supply chain was a perfect world for this. Um, having, um, I mean, feeling immediately um, the, the, the benefit of um, the different uh, things that we were doing. So in supply chain, I mean, if you are failing somewhere, you can you can see it immediately. So I was a big fan of uh, this uh, simplicity and the complexity behind it. That's fascinating. It, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, when, when people talk about either supply chain or money or economics, one of those areas where if you do get excited about it and turned on about it and focus on it, you can change the world around you. And, and often there are some of those foundational things that make the world spin. And very often when somebody talks about it with as much passion as you do, I'm always fascinated about what got you interested in it. Because it's one of those things where it doesn't always come up. It's not always an obvious career path for people to go to. But when you do get into it, most of the people I meet in either banking or finance or supply chain have had a lifelong passion about it and, uh, and, and, and speak very authoritatively about it, even over dinner party and barbecue conversations, because they, they believe in their heart and mind that it's one of the most important things in the world, which frankly it is, because we're not going to eat or buy any products without it, right? Um, I was very uh, interested to hear you. Uh, you were, I guess, uh, mentored and, and inspired by your father in many ways. That's fantastic. And uh, uh, kudos to your dad to uh, go through that challenge of a bankruptcy and then recover the business and, and see it in, in good shape uh, later in his career. I imagine that had a, a very formative ideals and, and foundational views of the world and, and mentoring that you sort of dealt, uh, grew on and, and, and benefited from. My dad uh, came from a similar background. He was in, in road building and shipbuilding and, and uh, logging and a whole range of physical plant and equipment things around borders and trucks. And some of those foundational things that he did in his own business stay with me today. Some of those fundamental things that he used to tell me. And even on a daily basis, I keep hearing this voice in my head that tells me <laughs> what to do and what not to do. I wonder if I could maybe get you to tell us a little bit more about your role. I mean, when I think about the role of managing director, it seems like an obvious role, but they're usually very, very unique and different. And, and heading up the whole region around France and Southern Europe, as you outlined, for Manhattan Associates, I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of the behind the scenes of it. What is a day in the life for Sebastian Lefebure like as managing director for France and Southern Europe for Manhattan Associates? Well, for, first of all, there are two aspects to it. There is before the COVID and, and during and after the COVID, uh, which is making things uh, a bit more complex, just like for, for everybody. So uh, clearly this role is managing 150 plus uh, employees in four different offices. 
managing customers' expectation. I mean, my first role here is to make sure that we're working side by side with our customers to deliver on um, the promises uh, that um, we, we need to uh, maintain with uh, the project, uh, with uh, the partnership that we have with brands and retailers and, and manufacturers uh, in, in my uh, specific region. Well, clearly, um, where it has been uh, extremely challenging over the past couple of months is things have heavily changed. I mean, business priorities for our customers have um, heavily changed. We needed to adapt our way of working immediately, making sure that we're, I mean, in a certain, um, to a certain extent, we're delivering um, critical services to our customers because they are the one running uh, healthcare, food retail, uh, which were critical in the time of crisis. Uh, plus, we have seen uh, tons of new initiatives that we needed to support, new processes that customers needed to implement. So, uh, being the leader of this organization, uh, this is to make sure that we deliver. Uh, this is to make sure that we also define what's going to be our strategy for the next 12 months, uh, up until the next five years, and uh, build upon this. It's it's definitely a heady challenge, and as you rightly said, that there's a, a pre and post COVID or during COVID experience, and I imagine that. Uh, in con- the context of what you're talking about there, I mean, you're essentially a, a supplier of essential services, so you've probably been on the the front lines uh, in many ways, uh, almost as important as, as healthcare, I guess, in many ways, that because things don't ship and move around, whether it's food or healthcare products and other things without your platform, your business and, and, and your clients and customers doing that. Um, it must have presented some interesting challenges for you to kind of keep the business running whilst managing the HR challenge and, and keeping your own staff healthy and so forth. I imagine you've had some interesting moments where it was like when you realized COVID-19 was a problem, you had to sort of deal with the HR problem and, and work out, you know, do you send people back home versus, uh, you know, do you keep some in the office? Have there been any real standout uh, challenges around just, you know, the juggle between keeping your own organization going and supporting other customers that have sort of stood out or are they sort of the, the the common things we're seeing in the media in general of, you know, keeping people at home, keeping them safe, making sure they can get access to technology and stay safe from cybersecurity problems while still doing their jobs? Well, this is interesting because um, so having offices in Italy, Spain and, and France, I mean, we've seen the wave coming, uh, eating Italy first, then Spain, then France with a couple of days between uh, each uh, region. So, so we originally uh, shut down our office in China. Then we did the same, obviously, immediately uh, in Italy and Spain when we saw that there was a risk for our employees, for our customers. And we moved immediately to remote mode. So um, we're um, nicely supported by uh, technology, meaning that we had um, at our disposal any any uh, way of working efficiently. Uh, but, it, but it has been a challenge. I mean, all project activities that we were used to perform on-site with our customers, we needed to do that remotely. 
we needed to support go live, meaning turning on a new fulfillment center, new omnichannel processes, uh, while being remote, working uh, side by side with our customers. And, and no matter what, we, we uh, we needed to do it. Um, so, I mean, our team has demonstrated a um, huge level of flexibility uh, and, and resilience because it has not been easy. And, fr and frankly, we, we continue working like this up until it's it's completely secure for everyone. So we are slowly returning to office and, and uh, supporting our customers uh, remotely or, or going on site when, when absolutely required. Well, congratulations on doing all of that. And uh, it was interesting to hear you say that, you know, you've, you've, as you said, you saw this wave coming, you, you witnessed it coming out of Southeast Asia, there was no surprises there. Some regions and, 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 and organizations were probably a little late to respond, watching this as an outsider, but knowing your brand and your company well, it was clear that you, you got ahead of it very early. As you said, you saw it hitting different regions between different uh, uh, nations and different cities, different times. Congratulations on, on successfully navigating that. But also, uh, I think you are to be commended on the ability to juggle keeping your own organization going and the outstanding challenge of having to keep your customers and their organizations going. That, that was just a, an amazing outcome. And uh, I, I, I'm sure there's an entire show to be done just on that conversation alone. But uh, I wonder if we could pivot now to, I guess, what the, the overall theme of what I wanted to have a conversation with you about. And that is that the underpinning shifting world of retail in what will soon hopefully be a post-pandemic world and, and what you're seeing around the evolution and, and particularly with innovations in supply chain as organizations that you work with are continually challenged with, I guess, the shifting consumer demands and expectations in retail in general. Um, I wonder if you could maybe just give us a quick 30,000-foot view of the world as you're seeing it now with regard to what the new world of retail means for supply chains. Well, uh, first of all, we can start by saying that this is a world of uncertainty. Um, right. The new world of Retail is, is 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 a bit crazy because we don't know what's what's going on uh, and what are the uh, consumer uh, behaviors. Uh, what we know is that they have already uh, heavily changed, and this will continue, but pretty much re real time, meaning that um, new uh, consumer behavior are adapting constantly. Uh, and so the reality uh, is that supply chain needs to adapt. Uh, in order for the brands and retail chain to survive. The ones that cannot adapt rapidly uh, in this fast-changing world will disappear, and unfortunately, this has already started. Um, we, we see that this crisis has been a revealer of the level of digital transformation already performed by the brands and retailers prior to COVID-19. The, the brands and retail business that were already offering omnichannel capabilities to drive additional business and customer satisfaction um, are the winners uh, or the less impacted by the crisis. They have been able to adapt rapidly, offer new services by leveraging workforce and inventory where it was available in their stores, in their uh, fulfillment uh, center, in their distribution center. Uh, in order to continue selling and, and fulfilling. Um, clearly, this has allowed them to protect cash and market share uh, during this crisis, and, and these, are the, these are the winners uh, and the ones that can survive. Uh, now, clearly, for any any brands or retail business, there is an imperative to, high, to have a higher level of agility 
uh, by leveraging technology, uh, cloud microservices technology. Um, they need to have higher level of flexibility also, uh, offering omnichannel processes like byline pickup it's store uh, and, and curbside pickup, uh, like we have seen it, um, we have seen it with multiple brands. Um, being able to uh, offer omnichannel uh, e-commerce fulfillment capabilities also to adapt to new consumer behavior in, in, in a post-COVID uh, landscape. I imagine that you know, when you, you talk about some of the digital transformation, the, 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 the huge difference between uh, you know, the, the likes of what your platform at Manhattan does to people running around with pencils and, and clipboards uh, a chalk and cheese and that you know, those organizations who were already, as you said, well along the path or, or, or had completed digital transformations and leveraged the kind of capabilities that Manhattan Associates provides from professional services and design to the full platform implementation, they must have had a significant benefit in the market uh, even before COVID-19 hit, but certainly after COVID-19 hit with that, uh, I guess, the impact in getting access to product to supply, the, the, the various supply chains, getting it into warehouses, getting it out to retail. I mean, you know, there's always these jokes and these memes about toilet paper and, and various other things. But when you look through the supply chain, you know, even something as simple as a, as a packet of 12 rolls of toilet paper has to go all the way back to cutting trees down and being turned into pulp and then made into paper and then packaged into rolls and put in plastic cases and shipped around the warehouses in fulfillment and then FOB on a, on a, on a, on a wharf somewhere in the world to, to another part of the world and then eventually gets to you know, distribution centers and into retail centers and into the stock stores and then stocked in the shelves and then picked and packed and then out through the FPOS terminal and comes home. That doesn't happen by accident. There's so much management to be tracked and traced in that. Uh, I imagine that those organizations that you're working with were well down that digital transformation path, probably felt less pain in the supply chain and just had to deal with some of the disruption versus having to implement full solutions from the get-go. So that's uh, completely true. In, in fact, the one that started originally uh, to go through um, offering omnichannel capabilities to manage this world uh, that is extremely important in managing this world of uncertainty. The one that started did it um, to offer um, a better customer satisfaction. Yeah. They wanted to provide better service, um, offering pickup in store, um, for example, and um, and better service and and uh, drive additional business. But the ones that did that, uh, in, in fact, at the time of massive um, crisis, uh, have used it uh, for disaster recovery plan, uh, just to be able to continue. Uh, fulfilling any uh, typical um, requirement uh, and, and making sure that they, they could serve the customer. So, so clearly, yes, this has given those uh, brands and, retailer, and retailers a significant uh, advantage compared to the one that did not initiate this. I'm curious to see, get your thoughts on on what this currently looks like in your local region, particularly in France today. I mean, you're aware of the entire global ecosystem and all of the various impacts that have taken place from, from Southeast Asia all the way through to Europe and North America and, and through Africa and South America and so forth. But in your region, particularly in France, I mean, what, what does the new world of, of retail look like? in the context of the supply chains today? Like what, what are some of the big things that you've seen take place of late that, that are so different from what you're used to? Well, we've seen um, 
several business uh, positively impacted uh, by the crisis. Uh, obviously, uh, food retail uh, going through um, an additional level of uh, transformation with a massive uh, shift from uh, traditional purchase in the store uh, to e-commerce um, fulfillment for the orders directly in the stores. Uh, we have seen a huge increase um, of uh, volume uh, for food retailers and um, acceleration of initiative also. Um, so the, the, the retailers that did not uh, initiate or that were doing only a small uh, percentage of their e-commerce fulfillment in the store are going through larger initiative here to make sure that they can adapt uh, to the next crisis if there is another one coming. Um, we have seen also brands uh, obviously heavily impacted um, in retail fashion um, by uh, the closure of their stores, uh, going through an acceleration of uh, e-commerce fulfillment with uh, extremely massive percentage of uh, e-commerce order, so uh, increase of uh, e-commerce volume by five or six times in only a couple of uh, days, couple of weeks uh, during the crisis. And, and we see that this continues. I mean, uh, there is no back to normal now, uh, even though um, all stores are now uh, reopened. Uh, there is no back to normal. The percentage of uh, omnichannel scenarios is uh, still extremely high. Uh, and so we, we believe that uh, the transformation and the imperative of modernization um, of uh, the IT landscape uh, will continue. There's a big, a number of big changes. And you mentioned a couple of them in curbside pickup, uh, buy online, pickup in store. These were, uh, I guess, trends that were taking place pre-COVID-19, but they've obviously been exacerbated and sped up by this. Where are you seeing the, the, the pressure now for organizations to respond to this and, and leverage the agility that the likes of, of what your platform for Manhattan Associates offers? I mean, when you, we think about, you know, we, we've heard about sort of what probably started with teenagers, imagine going into shops and trying things on and then buying it online. Uh, now we're seeing it flip where it's like, I want to buy it online, but I want to go and pick it up the store is supposed to have it shipped to me. And, and certainly even my local cafe and my, uh, you know, I might buy a sandwich or, or a roll or something like that and, and, and croissant or, or uh, apple tart, my favorite thing, and, and a cappuccino with it. But they've now got an app. And before I even leave my house to walk around the street, I order it online. It tells me it'll be available in eight minutes. And, you know, I'm, I'm basically standing there and get it through a window, an experience I never would have imagined a few years ago, and yet I think back and go, you know what, when I was in Spain and France and Italy, I was going to this little hole-in-the-wall cafes buying things, and that was the way I did it anyway, so now I've just gone full cycle. But this buy online and purchase in store and the whole curbside pickup, um, who are the organizations that have really benefited from that and being able to, to I guess, you, you mentioned before, a lot of organizations have seen some upsides in this, in, in particularly, I guess, food supply and other things because of the demand on that. Uh, who are the, some of the other examples where you've been able to help them with your platform, get that agility, whether it's leveraging cloud or microservices or other technology to get that flexibility with the type of customer experience that people are now asking for? Well, we have seen um, d d this is interesting because uh, Manhattan Associate as a software provider of um, uh, omni-channel uh, fulfillment capabilities uh, for retailers, for brands. Um, we, we have been living uh, through this period, uh, putting in place immediately scenarios that were required for our customers to continue running their business to adapt. 
Um, so we've been uh, working extremely closely with our customers to deliver uh, additional services immediately to uh, help them putting in place uh, those scenarios. There is there is something uh, very interesting because we were talking about uh, supply chain 20 years ago uh, when we talk about my career uh, path and my education. And, 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 and frankly, I mean, supply chain for many years has been um, mainly focusing on planning um, it, it was a supply chain management uh, part. So it was uh, on a long-term scale trying to predict level of inventory that we needed to have uh, for each uh, given channel uh, within the supply chain. Um, clearly, what we have seen is uh, the percentage of uncertainty between two channels, uh, e-commerce, for example, and retail is now uh, extremely high, and, and this is uh, the main complexity for the for, for, for the brand is they don't know exactly how um, the uh, consumer uh, will behave, and if last minute is not going to change his mind and ask for curbside pickup rather than uh, being delivered at home. Uh, because he needs this more urgently. So uh, brands need to provide all the dif different options. Uh, and this is where there is a huge level of complexity and, and only technology can help uh, managing this complexity and making sure that it's profitable at the same time. Otherwise, it can be a disaster. Indeed, and and I think that's you know the, the, again there's a whole conversation to be had on that separately around the challenge of over investing or investing in appropriately and correctly in technology, and then realizing too late in the project that you've you've gone a long way down the path doing something that may not return value to the business. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how the COVID nineteen coronavirus experience has changed the way the brands view the supply chains. As you said, we, you know, the, we, this is a conversation that's been happening for decades, but more than ever of late, this once in a lifetime. Uh, unfortunate experience. It's probably changed the way that a lot of the brands that you're working with have viewed the supply chains from a nicety in many ways to kind of look at the ways they can you know, get business benefits from business intelligence down to the supply chain uh, at the end of the, you know, to the, the FBOS terminal. And when I think about some of the areas you're talking about with grocery and food and beverage and, and, and some of those fundamental things to keep us alive, there's, there's some obvious successes there. But when I think about other areas like, you know, high-end fashion retail or, um, or the other end of the spectrum, manufacturing or, or medical and pharmaceutical, there must be particular areas where they've now had a completely different view of where the supply chain fits into the criticality of their business. I'm keen to get any insight you could share around some of those changes that some of those brands have been through and where they've gone from supply chain being something that they thought was a nicety to now it's an absolutely critical necessity to keep their, their business going and, and growing. Um, yeah, cl clearly, there, there are still certain business uh, that consider uh, that were considering supply chain as a cost center. Um, this crisis has proven the critical function of the supply chain as a central nerve of the business and strategic function to survive. Um, and, and we have seen it because boards of directors are now looking at supply chain as strategic differentiator and also as a um, as a way to uh, run the business in case of massive uh, disaster uh, disaster plan. Um, supply chain employees on top of it are the new heroes, the ones that have been working on site or delivering while the vast majority of people were working remotely at home and, and not, not uh, having any uh, risk of uh, being uh, contaminated. Um, now, now, I mean, the challenge is huge. 
uh, supply chain are the uh, vital element to survive in terms of crisis, but it has to adapt rapidly, constantly. Um, the five years roadmap of supply chain with projected volume by channel has gone. Uh, I mean, who can predict what will happen in one month or two months from now in terms of consumer behavior uh, for particular omnichannel scenarios like pickup in store or uh, being delivered at home from, from a distribution center? Nobody can predict this. Uh, all the different uh, uh, models of forecasting have gone uh, and, and creating huge complexity. So the way to um, manage this is through technology uh, and information system. They are playing a critical role uh, to support this constant uh, adaptation of the supply chain. Uh, it has to be SaaS. Uh, it has to constantly enrich, uh, being enriched of new features, new best practice um, that we identify also based sometimes on new regulation uh, being dictated by the uh, governing uh, bodies. It also has to adapt to peak of volume. Um, we have seen brands having massive shifts of volume between retail and e-commerce. E-commerce volume multiplied by six in only a couple of days. This is creating a huge complexity. So, so at Manhattan, we provide cloud, cloud native technology um, to allow the organization to deliver more resilient, uh, agile and flexible warehouse and supply chain faster. I guess this is where the, uh, and I'm interested to hear a bit more about the technology component because uh, we've talked a lot about the supply chain component itself, uh, the overarching value proposition, but underpinning all of that, the, the whole Manhattan active solution, if you like, from, from your platform and the, the vertical solutions in each of the key industries that are they're leveraging it from inventory, your omni supply chain, some of the, some of the niche services you offer. Where does where does that agility come from as far as the technology point of view? You've talked about leveraging cloud. I know you, you use a lot of technology like um, microservices to gain that flexibility to help organizations get, I guess, you know, shorter time to market, uh, shorter or reduce the time to get some of this you know, change in, 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 and, and flexibility to be available to their end users and, and their supply, the people they supply services to. How does that play out in your world? How do you convey that uh, value proposition that is that you know, you're making a SaaS-based or, or cloud-based offering available, that you're leveraging micro-architecture, uh, microservice architectures, and that, and that in turn speeds up the way that you can generate this more resilient, agile, and flexible warehouse and supply chain capability? How do you, how do you convey that to an organization that sometimes isn't always technical and, and maybe in retail or you know, food and beverages or, or you know, pharmaceutical or medical, certainly with healthcare now when people are thinking about the challenge of getting uh, personal protection equipment, PPE, uh, how, how do they comprehend the value that you, you offer when you convey that your platform does leverage cloud and microservices and, and that's where the differentiators are? Well, um, there are a couple of uh, elements um, that, that are critical here. Um, the, the, the first one is clearly uh, the volume. Um, and, and when you are talking about microservices, cloud technology is making sure that 
you, you, you can adapt to any volume that you need to process real time. Uh, there is no more constraint on this. And when you uh, originally, when you have your e-commerce volume multiplied by five or six uh, within only a couple of days outside of any planned peak period uh, for retailers or brands, this is uh, extremely complex uh, to manage. The second element when we're talking about cloud technology is also the fact um, that, hey, I mean, th this is a job of uh, your provider to run it. And at Manhattan, we've got uh, hundreds of people looking after our uh, SaaS technology, making sure that we are running it and monitoring it uh, for our customers. Um, the, the retailers and brand during crisis that uh, closed their offices have been in a mode where they couldn't have any more uh, IT uh, people to support their IT system, making it uh, run smoothly. This has created another huge risk uh, for them. Finally, um, when we're talking about this, uh, and, and this is probably the most important topic, um, the advantage of uh, cloud technology is to be able also to uh, um, uh, constantly uh, making sure that you are running the latest set of functionality, that you can uh, implement new feature extremely quickly. Um, this is what we have done at Manhattan, for example, where we have implemented curbside pickup uh, scenarios and delivered this for all our omnichannel customers in only a couple of weeks during the crisis. You can do that because you have no technological debt. Um, because when you're using microservices technology, you can plug very easily a uh, system together uh, to make sure that in an omnichannel world, uh, you need to have a lot of system exchanging information real time. This is what, what the technology is offering. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it, it must be exciting. And I imagine you get these little eureka moments where people go, aha, when they realize that using software-defined infrastructure, software-defined networking, spinning things up in the cloud, using microservices, that they can scale up and down on demand. So if on, on Monday at 9 o'clock people panic and want to buy a million rolls of toilet paper, they can because your platform scales up and then scales down and they only pay for what they use as a SaaS. But at the same time, they get the benefit of continuous development and continuous improvement, not only in the operational piece, but also, as you said, developing a new capability like curbside pickup. You can develop it, test it, implement it, and deploy it as a microservice and integrate it into your current platform so seamlessly that they don't almost recognize it's there and notice it until they use that service. There must be some interesting conversations around that moment when they realize just what that brings and how that flexibility and benefit that they're only paying for what they use. And more importantly, I imagine that they can focus on their core business and they don't have to be an IT shop or a technology shop. They count on you to be that for them. Exactly. And this is also extremely uh, interesting when retailers, brands that are leaders uh, are sharing those best practice together. This is also uh, what, what we are bringing Manhattan. It's a huge community of uh, uh, customers, of uh, retailers and brands that are sharing their best practice together. And, and the thing that fascinates me, and we'll get into this a bit later, but um I'm fascinated by the fact that when we think about the foundational components you have, I've seen stories that go from like, you know, bridal businesses to pet food to some of the, the, the you know, healthcare to almost every key vertical I could think of. You've actually been able to solve their needs in what seems like a timely fashion, very cost effective fashion. And in the old days, as you said, like 20 years ago, a vertical solution for, uh, you know, a, a business focused on bridal or, or, or weddings and so forth or, you know, uh, wedding dresses and bridal 
services or or, or pet food or uh, you know, shipping uh, retail products, food around, or, or healthcare products. There were very vertical niches that often had an organization focused just on that. You've been able to very seamlessly integrate your capabilities across all these really diverse supply chain needs. And it seems to me that you've now got this magic blend of all the relevant constituent elements to build, as you said, those kind of Lego block needs very quickly and then focus on their core needs and maybe just you know, the, the few things that are unique to them to, to get to the end goal. Uh, what's the response to organizations when they see that and realize that they're not going to have to go and spend millions and millions of dollars over eight years to get an outcome that they can do that in, in what is probably, you know, weeks or, or a couple of months or even days in some cases of new service? Um, well, this is interesting because uh, clearly uh, omnichannel capabilities, for example, have been um, clearly defined uh, originally by uh, retailers leveraging their stores um, and, and their distribution centers to offer additional services. But we have seen uh, CPG companies, for example, uh, thinking about uh, working on um, direct-to-consumer business uh, and doing massive shift uh, in this area. We have seen B2B manufacturers also adapting to new way of working with their B2B uh, customers. Um, because, I mean, somehow when, when you are used uh, as a consumer, final uh, end Customers um, to, um, to to have uh, some some way of uh, ordering online and being delivered. I mean, as a, as a as a B two B professional, you want exactly the same experience and you want to offer the same capability. So what we have built uh, across years for brands and retailers, uh, those capabilities in terms of omnichannel, we said that it it was bringing a huge uh, advantage in, in case of a massive. Design disaster like uh, we had with COVID-19, but in fact, it's also supporting new ways, uh, new habits uh, of uh, orderings in multiple verticals. And I, I remember reading on your website uh, some time ago, you, you have this, uh, I think you refer to it as the in- Inventory Optimization Institute. And I'd love to kind of understand a bit more about that was one of the things that really grasped me with this is that you bring everything from, I guess, the professional services and consultative front end from investment and innovation all the way to the customer experience and the customer journey to then the community component of the of how customers behave and their, their cultural behavior and their consumption models. I imagine this has really helped you with some of the new big changes to pivot with what's come about with the demands from COVID-19 and the different ways to operate and the ability to not just bring your technology and your software and development, but also the professional services arm to it and bring that, that inventory optimization institute capability, that thinking of coming at it from a different angle to get various outcomes to meet time or cost or consumer demand. Give us a little bit of insight into kind of what that is and how that plays into the into the picture. Well, so so this is fairly important. At, at Manhattan, as part of our DNA, uh, we're a software provider, but we've got our own services team to uh, implement and to support our customers. Um, this is extremely important in our DNA because we want to make sure that we understand um, our uh, customers' requirement and uh, we, we deliver on, on, on premise, uh, as I mentioned. Um, We've got uh, our own science team uh, at Manhattan that is helping solving the most complex 
critical supply chain optimization, meaning how to make sure, for example, that a, when when you do when you do some um, optimization to um, deliver as soon as possible for end customers, how do you make sure that your transport costs are not going to be extremely high, that your inventory costs are not going to be uh, impacted by this? So. Um, I mean, our, our value proposition, the reason why we are on the market is to solve this supply chain complexity uh, to make it uh, the most profitable and offer the best customer's experience. And so our science team at Manhattan is helping solving this equation, which is around transport optimization, inventory optimization, fulfillment uh, execution optimization, and offering all of this in a profitable way to end customers. I think it's a fantastic initiative, and and uh, I think for everyone tuning in and listening now, either live or, or uh, when they they get the replay, to me this is one of the many things that that, that stands out. It's very unique about what Manhattan uh, Associates offers, and I, I think it's almost one of those things that people should be having that conversation with you from day one, because you know, in many times you're the experts, you're the specialists in this. You've seen so many different ways and approaches to apply apply this that uh, I doubt that there's anybody that wouldn't get value from this. I wonder if you could give us a little insight in kind of where we, you see things going now with regard to the future of retail in particular. I mean, we've talked a lot about some of the supply chain challenges and, and some of the key industries that are impacted by the, the COVID-19 uh, coronavirus and whatnot. But you know, when we think about sort of Europe as a whole, certainly uh, from the perspective of where you are in France, but across Europe as we end, you know, we're, it's 2020 now, we're sort of around September, we're getting to the end of the year. People are now starting to think about after Christmas what happens in 2021 and beyond, and and sort of you know the the what people often refer refer to as the new normal. I think we're already in the new normal, but I'd, I'd be very keen to get your thoughts around kind of what the future retail looks like, uh, and particularly in context of supply chain and and, and some of the th- themes that you're going to see in 2021 and beyond as we sort of get into a new year and start to look at how do we get back to something slightly more normal than lockdown. Um, I, I started by saying that my father. Uh, teach me humility and and the first thing that we should recognize here is that uh, nine months uh, earlier uh, nobody would have thought what was coming Uh, and so predicting the future here is uh, somehow quite uh, quite difficult but but um, clearly there are a couple of elements that uh, I I believe are going to be staying Um, the first one is uh, I believe that the, the need that everybody is having for real-time visibility uh, and, and precision of the information available uh, related to uh, in, in the supply chain world, related to inventory available in the store, progress of uh, the delivery of my order, I believe that this is key. Uh, I believe that now this is a new uh, imperative. Uh, everybody needs to be ready to provide this real time because we need this. We need this to adapt. Um, I believe that the consu- consumer behavior, we said that um, they have heavily changed. Uh, well, I also believe that they're going to be uh, more largely influenced by uh, social responsibility and sustainability. Um, consumer wants a brand and retail chain to be responsible from a CSR point of view. Uh, they, they want to be proud of the purchase that they are making with a brand that is ethical and especially during the crisis. They want to make sure that the brand, um, the retailer, uh, are respecting the employee safety. 
uh, and, and also uh, the way they want to work um, and, and uh, if they need uh, to adapt uh, to a certain way of living due uh, to the crisis. Um, clearly, uh, I believe also that uh, in, in supply chain, we're going to be seeing more fulfillment nodes uh, than uh, originally. Um, I mean, there, there is still some, some huge distribution center being built, but in terms of disaster recovery plan also, um, we see uh, brands and retailers uh, betting, uh, investing on more fulfillment nodes rather than one or two extremely massive, very well optimized, but, but a huge risk behind it. Uh, I believe that the trend uh, on the level of automation in the supply chain, that is not a new trend. I mean, it was already um, something that was progressing uh, very quickly. Uh, it is obviously reinforced by the current crisis. Well, when, when I say automation, we're talking about automation, but we're more talking about uh, robots, uh, in fact. Right. So, so it's reinforced by the crisis. This will accelerate um, in a smaller uh, fulfillment nodes and, and, and sometime in the store, uh, just also to provide additional capabilities. It's going to be interesting. Uh, interesting to, just on the note of robots, I, I see a lot of people. You're, you know, as you're saying, you're robots in the warehouse, but I'm also seeing people leverage robotic process automation at the other end of the supply chain for just general forms processing and other things as well. Yeah, and, and we are talking about cobots, um, yep. uh, which is collaborative uh, robots and human um, to remove a certain task uh, that could be um, either way uh, painful uh, on, on the long term or, or either way just making sure that uh, in terms of uh, respecting new uh, social distancing, new sanitary uh, rules are also extremely efficient. Um, and, and, and clearly, uh, frankly, in terms of uh, trend, uh, technology is key. I mean, we already talk about this. I, I believe that um, nobody can afford any more technological debt. Uh, you need to be up to date uh, to, to be ready to adapt. Oh, that's great points. The, Sebastian, you've given me a lot of great hope for the future, actually. To be honest, I'm feeling very positive about what we can do as a, as a, as a species and leveraging the right technology. I wonder if I can ask you one final question before we wrap up. Uh, I often like to invite my guests to uh, allow me to pass my virtual crystal ball and gaze upon it for a moment. If I was to give you a virtual crystal ball and say, Sebastian, I wonder if you just for a moment, gaze into this crystal ball and give us sort of a couple of key takeaways that over the next 12 to 18 months that you think people from boardroom level down should be thinking about, ideally some actionable things that they should talk about. Now, you've given some great insight into kind of some of these key challenges, leveraging technology, leveraging cloud, leveraging SaaS, looking at the reinvention of the supply chain. I love your comment that now boards are looking at supply chains as not a cost center, but an opportunity center and a profit center. These are amazing uh, one lines to take away. But if you are thinking about the next 12 to 18 months as we do enter 2021 and, and some of the great insights you've just given us about where the future retail is going, uh, if you did apply a little crystal ball gazing, uh, what do you think some of those two or three key takeaways should be from boardroom level down that they can action, some key things and steps they can take back into their organizations right now and start to prepare for the next year or so? Um I, I, I would say that they need to be they need to be ready for the uh, 
next level of uncertainty because um, th this is coming. There is no back to normal here. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, you were asking me a couple of minutes ago uh, what was my uh, day in life and what was my main concern. One of them, for example, is to define what's going to be our new way of working. How many days are we going to be spending in our office? Uh, and, and we need to be ready for this uh, change of um, uh, customer behavior. Um, let, let's make sure that um, the companies can uh, be ready to adapt constantly to this uh, new way of uh, consuming um, uh, or potentially to any scenario. So we're talking about um, supply chain, for example, uh, that are extremely efficient, that were extremely efficient prior to COVID because uh, with a very highly automated distribution center serving all stores worldwide, uh, one distribution center, so extremely efficient from a cost saving point of view. But, uh, but uh, this can no longer be the case. I mean, uh, the supply chain needs to be uh, ready, agile, uh, and, and um, resilient. Uh, in order to do that, uh, well, um, need to be ready and remove any technological debt, uh, obviously, uh, be up to date uh, and, and leveraging uh, best practice uh, capabilities uh, offered by best of breed uh, software. I love it. Well, Sebastian, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you. Thank you so much for some insights into your personal life, your background. Really appreciate you sharing all your insights and, and uh, advice and thoughts around kind of where supply chain's going and, and I guess the immediate to medium term, long term impacts. Folks, you've had the uh, amazing opportunity to hear uh, from Sebastian uh, Lefebure, who is the Managing Director for France and Southern Europe for Manhattan Associates. Sebastian, congratulations on your role and keeping your own organization uh, in good shape. I hope we have you back on the show again soon and continue that conversation because I think 2021 is going to be an even more interesting year as we see what you bring to the market and what you make available possible in supply chain retail. Thank you very much, Des.